And before we get to uh, Peter King, who's always great on a Wednesday, talking about Willis Reed, Nixon Lakers, Macedonia Bill has an historic piece of information this morning. What do you got, Phil? Well, in addition to Willis Reed dying yesterday, today is the two-year death anniversary of a guy he faced in the 1970 finals, another Hall of Famer, Elgin Baylor. Wow. He died really? two years ago today. Yeah. Two years ago today. And much like Willis, who was a front office guy with the Nets, and I think Elgin did the same thing with the Clippers and other clubs, yes? One of the, yeah, and one of the most unfortunate careers of all time. I mean, you know, granted, he was an amazing player. I, I think one of the most underrated players ever, but uh, eight finals appearances, never won a championship. That's true. The year after he retired, the Lakers won it all. Kind of like Don Mattingly with the Yankees, <laughs> year before and year after. How do you know that? I, I really thought that you knew nothing before, like... Um, I don't know, Dirk Nowitzki. Well, I, I, t- I tried telling you before, I do actually know the history of the NBA. No, you, you don't. You, just, well, that, no, that, see you, that, you have no idea. See, that happens. So I, I kind of just like let it go. There's no point in really arguing. No, there's no point, because no. you don't know anything about the NBA. No, no, no. Not, not before uh, 2000. No, not, no. I mean, nothing. No, I, I want to tell you, nothing. I mean, how good was Bernard King? Ten feet to the basket. How good was Bernard King? He was very good. Okay, that's a stupid answer. He was phenomenal. He wasn't very good. <laughs> oh, my God. What's the difference? Yeah. That's like saying Peter King is very good. No, he's phenomenal. He's great. And that's why he's here every Wednesday, 40 years as Mr. Long Island, right there with Rudy, greatest politicians in the history of New York, Homeland Security, all that stuff. Here's my dear friend, Peter King. Pete, good morning, pal. How are you? Good morning, sir. I'm doing great. I'm even doing better after listening to Marv Albert. That was just a great account. And, you know, people today don't realize that uh, in, in those days, like 1970, the home games were not televised. So you had to listen to it on the radio. And uh, I remember listening to that game and the anticipation building because the Mets could not win. I mean, the uh, Knicks could not win without Willis Reed, and he was nowhere to be seen. And uh, suddenly, just as the uh, game was about to begin, or right before the national anthem, uh, you can hear Marv Albert describing Willis Reed walking from the mm-hmm. uh, locker room through the crowd on, onto the court. And I never heard so much noise over radio. <laughs> As that night, it was this phenomenal uh, moment. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, listening on radio, you didn't realize that Willis Reed could barely walk. I thought he was in good shape, but his leg was still so bad. When you saw the films that night on the television or the next day, he was hobbling up and down the court. Yet he scored the first four points of the game. Didn't score any points after that. But the Knicks ran on. They, the Lakers were psychologically devastated by that, that moment. But the way Marv Albert ca- uh, captured it over the radio at that time, and the way he recounted it again today was just phenomenal. Both had great memories. Ah, uh, great. Uh, Tim McCarthy checks in, former uh, ESPN great and radio genius. Great interview with, with Marv. You know, um, Peter, uh, again, I was only two years old that year with the Knicks, but I'm fascinated by 1969. I just am. You know, the Knicks won yep. that year, and the Jets won the Super Bowl that year, and the Mets and Tom Seaver, our team, they won the World Series, and... We walked on the moon, and we had Woodstock. I mean, Charles Manson kind of screwed stuff up. But uh, outside of that, uh, 1969, what an unbelievable year, yes? Yeah, and when you're living through it, you don't fully realize. I know my uh, a good friend, Art Shamsky, who played for the Mets, he wrote a great book a few years ago about you know that period of 15 months, from January of 1969 to April of uh, 1970, New York won almost everything. And you had the Jets, and also with very colorful characters. The Jets won with Joe Namath. The Mets' entire team was a magic team. It was the impossible dream, led by Seaver and others. But everyone on that team was just sort of, again, an an impossible dream type player. And then in 1970, I think that, again, every team has to be judged by its own era. 
But that Knicks team was one of the greatest teams of all time. Uh, not only great players, but a great team. Walt Frazier, Barnett, Reed, Bradley, DeBush. I mean, those guys are great. And then you guys like Ryan Reed and uh, Action Jackson coming off the uh, bench. <laughs> Kezzy Russell didn't even yeah. start on that team. I mean, yeah, that's, that's how right. good they were. Yeah. And what's funny is, as great as 69 was from a sports standpoint, again, I was too young to remember any of this. I was born in 67. A lot of people still try to convince me today, Peter, that as turbulent as our political world is today, Donald Trump, social media, all the sniping, all that goes on, that Nixon 68 was still every bit as bad. Your thoughts? Yeah, listen, 1968, and, you know, that whole period, really, I'd say from 67 to 73. Vietnam. Really, really... The Vietnam War, basically. Yeah, it was. And it, and it really, that, in a way, as tragic as it was, 56 Americans died. But also, I remember this is a war that was started by John Kennedy, the Democrats, kept going by Johnson. Nixon got us out of the war. I mean, people don't really put it in that category. But having said that, no, and it really, though, was it came at the time of the, uh, uh, you know, the women's revolution. It came at the time of Woodstock. It came at the time when culture was changing so much. I mean, suddenly nobody ever uh, wore long hair. I mean, suddenly you had all these guys wearing long hair. You had uh, – uh, uh, Riots in the streets. Yeah, it was just a, a totally uh, different culture change was going on. Well, take me back. Take, take me back to on. 1969 and you specifically. Uh, I know you spent your whole career as a Republican, but like for example, my cousin Norm Coleman, who I know you love very much, he was a Democrat. Uh, he smoked pot with Abby Hoffman. He went to Woodstock, and then he became a Republican much later on. But what was what did Peter King look like back in 1969? No, I was I was on the other side of the culture. My father was a city cop. I was uh, working in the city. I just gotten out of the Army. I was out in uh, uh, Fort Dixon in California. I was in the uh, Fighting 69th Infantry. I, I was never in combat, but I was in the Army again with the Fighting 69th. Uh, I was basically on the other side of the culture war. I was against the demonstrations. I was against the uh, flower power. I was against Woodstock. You know, I go through the whole thing. And by the way, so is most of the country. That's all not really described. I mean, you know, Nixon won for a reason in 68. He won by an overwhelming majority in 1972. So the country, the whole country was, was not going in that leftward direction or the flower power direction. But but the thing is, the lines were drawn. And it was really probably unprecedented in American history uh, to have such a division between, say, younger people and older people, between mm. uh, uh, men and women, for that matter, at that time. It was, it was really uh, so much was going on. It was. Uh, and then you went from there. Probably the 70s were. Uh, in some ways, like the dullest time. I mean, we you know, you had the bankruptcy, almost bankruptcy in New York, the city going broke, cops going on strike, teachers going on strike. Uh, you had the uh, terrible riots in uh, throughout the city, especially in you know, you know Brooklyn. That it was really a, the sixties in Rowan Way were really uplifting, exciting. The country was divided, but there was a tremendous. Uh, uh, Positive tension and negative tension in the country yeah. at the same time. Yeah. The seventies were just really bland. I mean, they really were. Well, they, well listen, you had, so even had a bland president. I mean, Gerald Ford. Now, now, God rest his soul. Of course, uh, what wasn't bland was talking about Charles Manson. One of his disciples, Squeaky Frome, trying to assassinate Gerald Ford back then. That was uh, anything but bland. But you know, Jimmy Carter was bland too. But things got so bad under Carter that by the time seventy nine eighty came along, and here came bedtime for Bonzo. All of a sudden, things weren't so bland anymore, and he kind of rescued the country. And there's lots of Republicans, lots, who are looking at Donald Trump right now, much like they did Ronald Reagan back in 1980. 
Well, I, I would say, you know, the two different people. Having said that, listen, I, I, I supported Donald Trump in 2016. As you know, I'm not supporting him now. But, no, he did provide an inspiration to the country in 2016. What he did was he was able to rally people in the country who felt, and rightly so, that they've been ignored for so many years. And Reagan did that in uh, basically in 1980. He took on the media. He took on the uh, uh, not just the left wing so much, but the arrogant intellectual types, those who somehow looked upon uh, hardworking day to day middle class people somehow not being as smart as they were. And Reagan really rallied them and he, the country took off with it. I think you know, the difference though, between Reagan and Trump is Reagan was able to anticipate, anticipate problems and smooth them over. Donald Trump anticipates them yeah. and makes them worse as far as the, you know, creating tension in the mm. country. But listen, Trump's record from 2017 to 2021 will match up with any president's yep. record. Yep. It's just too bad that he wasn't able to capitalize on it. Paul. No, you're right. But um, you also look at uh, when Reagan took over, we had all those hostages in Iran and the Ayatollah and all those people there. As soon as Reagan takes over, they're on their way home, you know, and. You could say the same thing about Trump. You know, there was no Ukraine-Russia war. The, the Chinese never talked about invading Taiwan. So whether it was because, you know, whether because uh, he's crazy Donald Trump, they don't trust him, whatever it is, uh, there was a fear factor with Ronald Reagan. President Trump had the same thing, sandwiched in between two guys in Obama and Biden, where every country takes every opportunity to invade every week with those two guys. Yeah, listen, what Donald Trump did in foreign policy, first of all, Russia did absolutely nothing. In fact, Russia actually had troops down in Syria, and uh, Trump basically destroyed them. I mean, he killed Russian troops when he was in, in office. And that was the last you heard of Russia as far as moving around the world. China did, made no moves on Taiwan. You never heard the moving about Taiwan. Now, when Obama was in there, uh, had uh, that's when, that was the first invasion of Ukraine, when uh, he came in and took, he took Crimea. Yep. And basically, Biden did I mean, uh, Obama did nothing about it. There was no moves by uh, uh, Russia whatsoever when Donald Trump was the president. No country moved on us when he was president. I just wish he could have focused on that more rather than starting unnecessary fights with people in his own party. No, I, I he know. Had a, yep. He had an excellent record. Well, but let me ask you, though. Uh, right now, uh, we're watching Trump go through this this ridiculous potential mm-hmm. indictment from this fat loser Alvin Bragg and She's even worse, Letitia James, EAG. And I said this this morning to Brian Kilmeade. I maintain it. Maybe the least sympathetic figure in the history of the country, Donald Trump. Maybe the least sympathetic figure. But right now, he's garnering sympathy from a lot of folks. Maybe even independence. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. And this is a disgrace. I mean, listen, I, to, to have a prosecutor abuse his power like this, basically what you're supposed to do if you're a prosecutor, you see a crime you find the person who committed in this case, he sees Donald Trump and finds to concoct and create some phony crime to accuse him of. This is an absolute disgrace. And I, I just wish that people on both sides would be honest enough to realize that. I would hope if this was happening to Bernie Sanders, I'd speak out. If it was happening to Bill de Blasio, I'd speak out. People on the left, it's just wrong. Listen, we should fight it out politically. Like, you know, you and Bernie uh, uh, you know, did it in the ring. <laughs> fight it out in the uh, ring of politics. Yep. Don't be using the power to handcuff and jail people. That's what goes on in Banana Republic. So, no, this case is a disgrace. Now, I just wish that Donald Trump can really rise above this, show that he and that he's not going to get out in the street with them because then it becomes 50-50 in the media. This should be covered 90-10 in favor of Trump if he just handles it the right way. 
shows some you know, some real class and strength. And again, what what's happening in all these cases, by the way, listen, I disagree with different things Trump did. None of them constitutes a crime. This in New York is no way can no. anybody call this a crime. No. And you go down to Georgia, you go to Jan- uh, January 6th, which I thought he was wrong on, but not acting criminally at all. We right. can't be using the criminal courts to satisfy political grievances. And the smartest thing, I said this before, that Donald Trump has done, has gotten Joe Tacopina to represent him here in New York. Oh, he loves when you say that. And I agree with you. Last one, did I read this week, Peter King, that right there in your neck of the woods, Nassau County, where Curtis Sliwa, who, mind you, was still suspended, but, but, I've had a change of heart. I'll make that announcement later. And you did send me a post saying that even though Curtis goes after you, you think I should end the suspension. I'll talk about that later. Uh, Did I read that in your neck of the woods, George Santos is already filing papers for 2024? Is that right? Yeah, he is. And I think uh, the only reason he's doing that is to to be able to continue raising money, which is what he's doing. And you have to say you're a candidate. Well, you know, go back to Curtis. Curtis is a nut, but I'm walking down the hallway yesterday in ABC, and he has two Japanese guys there from Japanese body and angels. And so I think he's, he's scared of me. So he had to have two Japanese bodyguards dressed in red to protect him. Listen, I think Curtis is crazy. I think that he is, in some ways, a danger to society. Yes, but yes. you should allow him to speak on your show. He's still mad at me because he got thrown out of the school that I graduated yeah. from. Yeah. But having said that, yeah. and also he's mad at me because his son is playing the bagpipes so he's leaning toward the Irish and away from the <laughs> Irish stuff that Curtis tries to peddle. Oh my so God. anyway, but having said that, yeah. just like you have to let everybody on the show, including the worst of the worst, and that's yeah. Curtis. No, he's the worst of the worst. Uh, so with that said, this is a perfect time to announce it. I am ending the suspension, Peter. Uh, so thank you for your post earlier this morning. And Curtis Sleewalt will return to his regular slot at 7.05 on Friday morning. But mind you, because you don't know, well, you may know, but the listeners don't know why he was suspended in the first place. If he ever does it again, and he sat right in front of me and apologized yesterday, he really did, and he was very, very sincere. If he ever does it again, he's never coming back. Trust me, never coming back. So he's back on Friday, okay? I'm glad I had some small role in getting him back. Even my enemies, I can be kind That's the old way of doing diplomacy, Peter, right? That's how it used to work. You're the best. I love you, Peter. Thank you. You too. Another great appearance. 840 every Wednesday morning. They don't come better than Congressman Peter King.